Okay, I'm going to start us off with a prayer, and then we'll kind of go from there. Uh, Jesus, I ask that you would uh, bless this message that Steve and I are, are going to be sharing today. I ask that you would uh, give us the right words to communicate um, some very complex and interesting concepts. Uh, in your name we pray, amen. Uh, so I'm, I'm Keenan, and as you all know, this is Steve. Say hi, Steve, for the recording. <laughs> um, so uh, Steve and I met a couple weeks ago to talk about, um, you know, what do we want to share? Uh, what do we want to bring to uh, the community? And we both discovered that um, we are, like, I don't want to say, I would say we're both, um, we ha- I would say we have Catholic souls is maybe the way to, to put it. We both have a... Um, an appreciation for uh, for props and liturgy and things like that uh, when it has meaning behind it. We find it to be very powerful. So we were talking about uh, all these different things because, uh, and I won't talk for Steve, but Steve was raised Catholic. I was not, but I took an interest in it after college. And um, I got a lot of depth of understanding from some of these things. So then we were talking about, well, what do we, what do we want to talk about as a group? And so we settled on... Uh, communion. So we're going to talk about communion today, and I'm going to start off by uh, just reading like a, a passage out of Luke uh, 22. Uh, this is going to be verse 14 through 23. Um, kind of the setup for this story is uh, this is the night that Jesus is going to be betrayed, and he goes and has this last meal that he ever eats um, with his disciples, and. Um, So I'll just, yeah, I'll read it. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hands of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them might be who would do this. Um, from this passage of scripture, a lot of, uh, like theories and ideas about how we should take, uh, communion or Eucharist or whatever you would like to call it have kind of come out of these passages. And so, uh, both Steve and I are going to kind of share with you what we grew up with and kind of our understanding of it. Um, when I was a, when I was a kid, uh, communion, Happened, uh, happened once a month, um, and it was a very serious Sunday because there would be, like, an extra song uh, that happened, like, during communion. And so, like, someone would always, like, sing some very, like, emotional, moving song. And um, they would bring out the table that said, uh, this do in remembrance of me. And it was, like, this very, like, ornately carved table. And I remember as a kid being, like, they wrote the words wrong. Like, it should say, do this in remembrance of me. And I was, like, why does it say this do in remembrance of me? I'm, like, that's... Why would you, like, carve a table that pretty and then, like, put the words in the wrong order? That was my thought as a kid. And the biggest part that uh, was overwhelming about communion is that it was actually really scary for me as a kid because um, 
Growing up, the repeated message was, you need to examine your heart before you take communion because if you're not right with the Lord, uh, you're basically bringing judgment on your own head. So like for me, it wasn't like uh, this is a celebration of what's going on. It was like you need to get right with God before you eat this bread and wine or you're going right to hell. So like that was my like childhood understanding of communion. Uh, and so I would avoid it at all costs. Like I used to be like the person who would play like a special song or something like that. So I would not have to... Like, I could, like, hide that I wasn't eating, like, the bread and the wine because I was like, I don't want to go to hell. I'm not going to take this because it's scary. So that was that was my kind of growing up with it. What was your experience, Steve? I was scared to death, too. <laughs> <laughs> I went through the whole catechism process. I was raised Catholic, so um, scared. I remember, I remember having to, I don't remember any of the teaching, but I do remember having to wear, like, a, a white suit coat and a white tie, and um, I remember this lady who was way, wearing way too much perfume, and I couldn't breathe. I couldn't get enough oxygen. And, um, <laughs> anyway, um, much later than that, though, uh, not to change the subject, but I will. You're, you're good. <laughs> you go. <laughs> I remember... Um, being at a mass at a, as, as a teenager and going through the communion and somehow realizing after, I don't know, 15 or 16 years, I remember thinking, oh, God is real. After all this time, how could I miss that? And then I was called to the priesthood, <laughs> which I obviously am not. <laughs> but um, You're up here now. <laughs> yeah. And... Um, then I started um, riding my grandfather's bicycle to church, big fat balloon tires and everything, but without coercion. <laughs> so. Anyway, it is a celebration, which is kind of odd. In, in church history, it was totally centered on communion and not the preaching. So, and it's a little bit odd to celebrate somebody's death. So, the house meetings... Not a church building, of course. Um, they celebrated in the catacombs, the graveyards in Rome, because they somehow felt the urge to celebrate with the people that had passed on before them, the saints and the martyrs before them. They were part of the church. They had, uh, if the, the church grew too big in the city, they couldn't all get together at the same time, so they had what was called a fragmentum. So they took a loaf of bread and broke it up, and they said, okay, here, George, or whatever, take this to the east side. Take this one to South St. Paul. And it um, signified a, a, a union of the believers, the dead and the brothers and sisters that lived apart from them. So there was a real sense of community um, among the believers. So when we were, so Steve and I met at McDonald's the last two weeks to kind of go over all this stuff. And when he shared that with me, I thought that was like so profound that, um, that number one, that like communion would be the central focus of you know, the gathering. Because for me as a kid, it was like a once a month, you know, get right before God kind of a thing, as opposed to 
what everything revolves around and you know eventually they started being like okay let's talk a little bit before we do this and then eventually now we're at the point where in most places it's it's a very uh it's a one-time thing um i also thought it was super cool like that they met in the catacombs like that's creepy and gross but it also um the i mean just the significance of you know yes these brothers and sisters have passed on but we are still like part of the universal body of Christ. Like that's a really cool idea. Um, on the, you know, we don't talk a, a lot about Catholicism. And when I was a kid, I was told, you know, like it's bad. Like it was the opposite of what I was supposed to believe. Um, and uh, it's really funny because the faith background that I grew up in is like <laughs> incredibly similar to Catholicism, but we were told that like, Catholics are wrong. And one of the big things that I was told is wrong is um, that Catholics pray to the saints. And when I was, you know, looking into Catholicism and things like that, I would go to uh, the cathedral in St. Paul and the Basilica a lot, and I would be just overwhelmed by the scope and size of everything and all the details that had meaning for people if you knew what the meaning was. And I remember asking a priest, I was like, why, why do you guys pray to the saints? And he was like, we don't pray to the saints, we pray with the saints. Because, yes, they're dead, but they're also given eternal life. So we are going with, we're asking them to join us in prayer. And I was like, that changes everything. Like, it's a completely different, like, idea. And that fits in really well with that. A, uh, an understanding that when we take communion, as part of the, like, universal everlasting like body of Christ, which is not something I had ever considered before. Um, going further into detail about communion or uh, as it is sometimes called Eucharist, um, there are the, well, so almost every branch of Christianity has like their own views on communion, but there are like kind of three main ones that, that come out a lot and are, uh, surface a lot. So we're just going to talk about the three because even talking about the three is a lot. So the first one um, that is a wild, a widely held belief is called um, transubstantiation. Um, it is the belief that uh, when someone is taking communion, the, um, the bread and the wine turn into the literal physical blood and body of Christ. It's a, um, because he said, this is my body this is my blood it becomes it becomes actually that and I was not raised with that but you were so will you talk a little bit about your experiences with that um, <clears throat> it's a very sacred thing um, the um, priest goes up to this little box up on the altar and it's called the sanctuary and he opens it and it's treated the logistics of it of it is treated as if it is actually body and blood of Christ. <clears throat> Things are wiped down, sacred cloths, water is poured, and um, it's, every little detail is, is, is paid attention to. I heard, I, I looked this up on uh, YouTube. <laughs> I don't hope you don't mind that, but I'm supposed to be the expert, and I'm looking at YouTube. <laughs> hey, that's what I do every week. <laughs> anyway, they had a, an analogy there that was um, very interesting. I never heard. But um, if you could imagine Jesus going to a modern-day doctor for a physical exam, and what the doctor would say. He would do his physical exam, and he would say, well, this guy is human. You know, this passes all the tests, and he's a human 
person. But he would have no idea why he came here and why, where he was going and what was going to happen. So even though he was looking at the very body of Christ, he's missing the main point. So maybe when we look at the elements, we're looking at, well, this is bread, a chunk of bread and wine, but are we missing the main point of why that is there on our communion table and how it has endured through the centuries, how it has been a main motivation from the beginning when the first Christians, in celebration, the, the Jews um, were released from the law and they were joyful. It was a joyful. How can you be joyful about somebody's death? But they were. And then eventually... Um, the sermons crept in. And pretty soon it was centered on sermons and listening to people talk. But I thought, I've always, one of the reasons I'm still Catholic is that I thought you can talk till you're blue in the face and if you never take in Christ, what is the point? So, anyway, transubstantiation. Don't miss the broader, deeper truth. That's all yeah. I have. For, for me, I, I did not grow up with transubstantiation. Um, I, I won't, I'm not, I'm trying to say this in the least judgmental way possible. It sounded f- like freaky cannibalism to me in a weird way because I was like, that's, that's bizarre. Um, but there actually, now that, I, now that I think about it, I think there's actually, although I don't know that I personally believe that it's, uh, like the molecules change into the physical body and blood of Christ. I think the idea behind that is actually really fascinating because um, like part of the beauty of the story of grace and the story of Jesus is that he changes all things and makes them into new things. And the idea that like something that was mundane and like a part of every day, like the bread and the wine that everyone, like basically every meal, the fact that his like physicality could be in that, that like, even the smallest little details of everything around us, like he's present in that. And that's, um, like that's how I believe in God and how I believe in Jesus. I believe in it in a way that it's present in all things. So for the actual like molecules or things to change, like it's a leap for me to make in my brain, but I also see the beauty in that and that it can be, uh, it's, it's his presence is in all things. And uh, we're just taking the bread and wine and saying like specifically, this is what we're focusing on to, to remind us. Like this is not, because uh, I feel like he, his physicality can be in all things, but th- that is really cool. And uh, a couple months ago, um, uh, I don't, I don't, I think maybe it was Luke, maybe it was Aaron. Someone showed me this video where, um, like, people spoke things to glasses of water, and like scientists watched like what the molecules did when the words were spoken. And uh, and this is like this is science. I don't get science, but this is something that's like repeatable. Like they could do this, but when they would say things to a glass of water, even in other languages, saying like love or hope or things like that, the molecules would like arrange themselves in like almost like snowflake patterns. But when they were like said, I hate you or uh, things like that to a glass of water, it looked like chaos. So like the fact that like I have a hard time wrapping around my brain that like a piece of bread can become the literal body of Christ. But I think there is something in our DNA and in the molecules of everything around us that uh, is deeply connected to God. And so 
it's a big jump for me to understand, but I also can really appreciate the idea behind it as being a representation of Christ making all things new and tying all things to himself. Um, kind of the bridge in, I guess, in between uh, transubstantiation and then uh, the next, I guess, widely held belief is called consubstantiation. Um, and that's the belief that uh, it's not the physical, I'm going to, this one I studied the least, so I'm like, I'm sorry if I botched this, but it's not the, it's not the literal body and blood of Christ, but it is, uh, his presence is still in the body and blood, you know, and the bread and the wine. So it's not that it physically becomes his body, but his uh, essence or his spirit is attached to it. Am I summarizing that right? That's my understanding. That's what a lot of, um, I think a lot of Lutherans believe that, according to Wikipedia. Um, I think that, uh, <laughs> um, but there's a, yeah, there's a good, there's a good uh, variety of people who, who believe that it's a physical representation of his spirit, not a physical representation of his physicality. Well, um, another thing I learned from um, YouTube. <laughs> We're so dependent. <laughs> um, at the point of death, um, the separation of the body or the bread and the blood or the wine um, spells death. And at that point, uh, the ghost is given up. And Christ gave up the ghost, the spirit. He gave up the spirit. The human spirit of Christ blinks out. And maybe I was thinking the Holy Spirit blinks in. Or maybe for us both, because we still have our spirit. But if we identify with the, the um, death of Christ, then maybe the Holy Spirit will blink in. Maybe it's more important than we think. There are many, many um, representations of the the whole gospel story. I, I love the Old Testament. I don't know. I, I just do because it's, it's, it's less direct and it's more poetic, and I like it. Um, there's a story in there about Jephthah and his daughter. Oh, it's a tragedy, and the father is so tormented. Jephthah, Jephthah was a, a king, I believe, and he made a vow, a terrible, stupid vow before a big battle, and... Um, his daughter, um, he said, oh, if we get victory, then the first person that comes out to meet us will be a burnt offering. <laughs> God, and it turned out to be his daughter. And the father, Jephthah, was, I'm going to be humiliated. I'm just going to just, I'm not going to do this. And the daughter insisted. So she was killed. And it's a very close analogy to what happened with Christ and the Father God, and it was carried through. And um, so Christ was where, killed. Where is that? That's a scary story. <laughs> I think it's in the Kings, the okay. Book of Kings, or something. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sorry if that was a rabbit trail. No, <laughs> no. I think that's fascinating. Well, I like that you tied it to, um, you know, Christ's death being a. Uh, well, I mean, because that's weird that he was like, well, we're going to celebrate, and the way we're going to celebrate is we're going to kill somebody. Like, that's mm. bizarre. But, I mean, that's also, like, a lot of, 
I mean, that's, I mean, we could go into a lot of rabbit trails with that, but I think that that ties in a very interesting way to people's concepts that uh, God needed Jesus to die for us to be right with, with God. Um, and it's that whole duality of like, how do you view like the Trinity? How do you view, uh, is God making Jesus die? Is Jesus doing it himself? Jesus is God, but he's also a human. Like it's very complex and bizarre, but the, the idea that the daughter says, uh, no, like I'm going to, I'm going to keep my word. I'm going to keep your word actually. And, and carry out the deed. Um, well, and you can't help but think, I mean, Jesus was raised on those stories, so I wonder even how much of a connection he would have to something like that in the moments in the Garden of Gethsemane where he's like, I don't want to do this, but I know that you need it to be done, so I'll do it. I don't know. I think that's a very uh, interesting tie-in. Anyway, um, <clears throat> I am, um, like Keenan said, we're both... Um, really like props, and I really do. <laughs> I have this and that for my prayer times. Um, one of the things I like about the Catholic liturgy is when the deacon comes out with his incense and waves it around. He comes out to the front to the, toward the people, and he waves it out this way and this way and this way, and then we all bow into the smoke, which means the commonality of prayer. I really love it. It's, it brings a, it's a sense of bringing us together. I have my flag that my father's um, was in my father's casket when I pray for our country. I have my oil lamp. <laughs> um, but I don't think that communion itself is a prop. I really don't. I think it's sanctioned by Christ himself. And I'm thinking that, um, boy, I'm thinking that all these things relate to truth as kind of a, an iceberg, huge, and little parts of it stick out above the surface and we can see it. And maybe if it was turned over, a different part of the iceberg was, would, would show up. So... Um, Anyway, I hope that's not too obscure. <laughs> so. um, the last uh, kind of concept that people can have for communion, uh, and like, we, like I said earlier, there's more than just these three, but these are the ones that kind of show up the most. Um, I'm going to butcher the name, uh, but it's, uh, it's like the, the Zwinglian idea. Um, it comes from a guy in like Sweden or Switzerland, I believe, and the... The Zwinglian concept of communion is that it is purely, um, like, supposed to be a representation. So, like, it's the, it's the coming together of the body of Christ, and it doesn't mean it has to be bread. It doesn't mean it has to be wine. It doesn't have to be any of those things particular. It's, it's the idea that, like, whenever people are together, we should commemorate and celebrate Jesus' death and resurrection. So whatever, like, food or beverage you have present, it's all about, um, like, what it really means versus the actual physical object. Um, and it's interesting because I was kind of raised on a, on a blend of, like, consubstantiation and Zwinglianism because, uh, like, as a child, like, the, like, yeah, it could be anything other than literal wine and, blo and uh, bread, like, but it could only really be, like, 
looks like crackers and watches grape juice. So it was like a, it's not actually like what everyone else is doing, but it can only be this thing. But it's okay that it's this thing because it doesn't have to be this thing. It was like a weird like crisscross between both. Um, and I remember in youth group, I had um, some... Like our our youth pastor, or whatever, was much uh, different. Held different beliefs than a lot of the rest of the church. And I remember we like having communion where it was like they passed around like Doritos and Mountain Dew. And I was like, I remember as a kid being like, like that's not right. Like how like can that be okay? Like and um, and now like I like it's as irreverent as that sounds. It's also as long as the spirit of the situation is. We are commemorating and celebrating uh, Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection. And we as a community are celebrating that we are tied together in that. Like that to me is like ultimately the most important and crucial part. It's not like whether you have bread or those little crackers or you have Doritos or you have uh, wine or Welch's grape juice or Mountain Dew. Like it's the, the thing that ties it all together is the celebration of we are all gathered together because we are celebrating Jesus's message, his message that he loves all and that all are bought into this salvation together. It's a uh, universal celebration of, of who Christ was. And um, I think that's probably the closest one I've held to. Uh, I, I definitely have said like, we'll have communion with whatever's back there. I have like multiple <laughs> times without really even like explaining it or being like, it's okay that we're just eating cookies. Like, um, I think it's really important that the uh, the understanding is we're doing it to celebrate what Christ did for us, and we're doing it to commemorate that we're celebrating it together. Um, and I like that. I mean, we have some on and off weeks where we actually have the bread and the wine, but I like that we still like try to incorporate as much as possible into all of our gatherings because for me as a kid, it was a once a month thing, and it was like it was sacred. Uh, but not in a way that was accessible. Whereas to me now, like, it's much more accessible uh, because we're doing it every week. But I also think we need to remember, uh, you know, the story behind it and why uh, why it is sacred or why it is important for us to do it as a community. Um, and like Steve was saying about the iceberg, we can all, you know, and this could be said about communion, the Eucharist, about any, like, aspect of our faith. We all have this, like, pinnacle on the top that we see and we feel like we understand. And things can come along um, and break that top off or, you know, shatter our concepts. But there's a lot of iceberg below that can, like, turn and change our our belief system. And it's, you know, God is a lot bigger than what anything we could ever say about him. Um, and so, you know, whatever belief you want to have with communion, whether you believe that you are, um, consuming the physical body of Christ, whether you believe his spirit is attached to it, whether you believe it's just bread and wine and you want to be a part of the celebration of everyone else. I think that there is enough of Jesus that we don't see and enough of the depth of God to cover any of those ideas. Um, I think that as a community, we need to celebrate as much as possible, uh, all that Jesus has done for us. Because I think uh, I think a pitfall that we can fall into as a community, I think we talk about Jesus a lot, but we don't always use the word Jesus. Sometimes we use the word grace. Sometimes we use the word love. Sometimes we use you know all these different things. And we forget that the key point, the key like story behind all of that is the message behind Christ's death and resurrection. 
Um, and so regardless of whether we're talking about something in the Psalms or the book of Esther or Paul or whatever it may be, the thing that ultimately ties us together at the end of every week is that we take communion together to, some, to celebrate and commemorate who Jesus was. And then we talk to one another about how that's affecting our daily lives. And I think that's, I've never had that in another community. Uh, and I'm not afraid of communion anymore. Like it's not something that I'm like, oh my God, I have to be right with God in order to take this communion because now I understand that Jesus said, I made you right with God. Like, there's nothing you can do to undo that. And there's nothing you can do to make someone else wrong with God. And there's something, you know what I mean? Like, there's nothing. Like, it's for all people, for all time. Um, and I think that's a really good reason to celebrate. I want to tell a story, if you don't mind. Yeah, I'm, go for it. My mom was on her deathbed, and um, n- none of us had... She hadn't spoken for several days, and the hospice people were doing their thing, and it was toward the end. I hope this isn't bringing anybody down, but this is really a celebration. Um, my friend um, Deacon Phil came from the um, cathedral with uh, what was called a, a pick, the Catholic thing. It's a, a gold um, round thing that holds the host, you know, the bread. And um, he came to, to our house, and he, my mom was in her, her last stages there. And um, he broke it up, and he put one little, little chip on her lip. And she woke up, and she said, thank you. <laughs> so she was there. She understood. So that, that did more for me. That just makes me happy to this day to remember that. Yeah, so, yeah. Anyway, that's, that's it. Oh, yeah. That's that. I'm at the end of the paper here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's beautiful because I, it sounds like your mother had a depth of understanding that, um, you know, I guess even, even being close to death, there was life to be celebrated. You know I mean, there was... Uh, it, there was comfort and there was the promise of eternal life through Jesus. So I think there's, uh, there's a lot of beauty in that. And I hope I am as peaceful and beautiful as that. And the, and because who knows, um, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna close this out in prayer and then we'll go in discussion. Uh, Jesus, we thank you so much for the sacrifice, um, that you made and that you didn't have to, but you did it for all of us so that we could be one with God Um, I ask that you would continue to show us uh, every day the little ways that you show up in the physical world around us. And I I ask that you would allow us to see with open eyes the the spiritual, you know, elements that are in everything um, and to celebrate how how much your presence is around us. Um, In your name I pray. Amen.